I'm Wayne Rubin, and I want to welcome you to the podcast, Hard Yards in Leadership, where we explore the tough leadership challenges experienced by successful leaders along their journey. I hope hearing their stories will help you predict, prepare, and survive the inevitable challenges you will face on your leadership journey. Let's get into it. G'day, everyone, and welcome to this first episode of Hard Yards in Leadership. I'm thrilled to bring this podcast to you. This has been a labor of love for me for quite some time. And I am now getting to interview so many fascinating leaders in business and hear them talk about some of the things that they find really hard as leaders. There's lots of opportunities for us to hear everyone's success stories, but I've always believed that One of the things that we can learn so much more from is the opportunity to hear from people talking about things that they find difficult. That's the basis of Hard Yards in Leadership. I hope you really enjoy it and learn lots from it. Hey, my first guest today is Sam Kathari. Sam's a really interesting guy. He began his career at Kearney after co-founding Connect Education, which was the first student-run lecture organization in Australia. And he did all of that while he still was at university. He co-founded Scroll Ice Cream and Pokade during his time at Kearney, and he grew Pokade to eight locations around Melbourne and Sydney since 2016. Sam joined the Seek strategy team in 2018 before departing to join Air Wallachs, where he held multiple roles, including head of growth managing the ANZ P&L for the region. Sam joined Airtree's Explorer program in 2022 and is now an active angel investor and a startup advisor. So in this episode, I'll be discussing with Sam things like how he came to launch his first startup business when he was only 18 years old and still at university. I mean, how interesting is that? Some of the struggles that he had the first time he had to fire someone, and that's something that I think probably all of us still find really difficult. So it'll be interesting to hear Sam talking a little bit about that and why being a great problem solver, which Sam really sort of sees himself as being may turn out not to be such a great trait for a leader. And I'll also be looking for Sam to share some advice for leaders who struggle with some of the basics of kind of self-preservation, like taking leave. So really look forward to sharing some of Sam's experience and, and stories around these topics and more. Without further ado, let's get straight into it. So welcome, Sam. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Wayne. Really excited to chat with you. Sam, we have a lot of founders who listen and, and you know, enjoy to kind of hear the stories of, of other founders. You've really done a lot of kind of startup work, haven't you? It's not just a, you're not just a one story, maybe just as a quick sort of walkthrough all of that starting up that you've done for our, our listeners. That would be awesome. Yeah, I started out my entrepreneurship career when I was 18. I always knew I wanted to be in business, even going through high school. And so, got to uni, had very few contact hours. So, I was going to uni maybe two days a week, had five days off. I said, hey, let, let's get some real world experience. So, I started an education company originally when I was 18. We grew and scaled that and eventually sold that actually only a couple of years ago. So, ran that for almost 10 years. In the, the meantime, also went and got a job in management consulting. You know, enjoyed it, but I really, I think, had caught the entrepreneurial bug after starting that education company. So then moved into 
hospitality. So it started an ice cream shop. Unfortunately, we started it in Melbourne <laughs> where the weather isn't fantastic. <laughs> you know, probably would have been a better idea in Brisbane. You can't always get it right, can you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I always say I was young and foolish and, you know, and willing to try anything at that point. You know, so it's around the ice cream shop and it was a lot of fun. We, we learned a lot about the hospitality yeah. sector moved into restaurants and, and started the pocade chain. And so that was really quite exciting. We've held on to that through COVID. So it was quite tough, actually. They really had some awesome growth in the early years. And then, you know, obviously being a hospitality business through COVID was, was challenging, but, you know, learned a lot through that period as well. And uh, over the last few years, I, I joined Air Wallex as, as employee number three in the commercial team here in Australia. And so I helped grow that business and brand over the last three years. So we scaled the team from, you know, two or three people to, to 50 plus, you know, established new functions, marketing, partnerships, operations, sales. There's a lot of fun, you know, being involved in lots of different things, lots of different industries and areas. And I think that's, you know, been, I think one of the interesting things in my career is I've always dabbled in lots of areas, but have really enjoyed the journey yeah, so far. Amazing. And Sam, you know, the topic that we kind of always want to get into is kind of like, you know, the challenges that people have experienced as a leader. And obviously, when you founded your first business while you were still at university, there's there's lots of experiences. But let's go back to those early days. Can you remember when you first recognized yourself, not just as an entrepreneur, but actually as a leader? Yeah, it was probably the, the first time I had to fire someone, right? Like, I think that you know, I was 18 or 19 at the time. I'd hired my first employee, which was just a friend. So, it didn't really feel like it was, I'd gone through like a formal recruitment process or anything like that. So, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants a little bit. But we had one person on a team who didn't perform, who wasn't doing well. And that's when I realized, well, actually, it's, you know, my co-founder's night. This is our business. We care about this and we need to make a tough yeah. call here and a tough yeah. decision. And so, what did we do? We chickened out. <laughs> so, we didn't, you know, we fired this person by pretending that it was us and not them and like, you know, dancing around the issue, stopped rostering them on to our, our scheduled classes. We just kind of hoped and prayed that they'd just disappear into the background and get busy with, you know, whatever they were doing. But that was a moment I realized actually, you know, business growing startups, it's not all, you know, fun and games, you know, as a leader, like I needed to take accountability and responsibility for, you know, some of the things that don't go well yeah. in, in a business. It's not just, you know, enjoying the upside and, and, and the good times. It's also being accountable for when things aren't going well. And, you know, it was fully on me for, I don't think that person ever knew that they got fired. You know, I, I don't think I ever communicated, you know, that, you know, we're, we're having yeah. a problem here. You need to rock up on time. I never provided that feedback. But that was the moment where I realized, actually, there's something here to this leadership thing that I really need to understand and, and, and learn a lot more about. Yeah. It, it, ghosting someone is generally not considered best practice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, as you were kind of telling that story, I was kind of thinking, you know, how many people are gonna are gonna listen to this this episode and and kind of go, you know, I remember my exact same situation that I was in as an entrepreneurial founder who suddenly faces that horrific moment. And and wouldn't you love to be the person who kind of you know does best practice you know dismissal uh, <laughs> first time around? I, you know, a, a lot of us never quite get there, let alone let alone first time around, but. <laughs> forgive me for kind of taking you into a space of pain, but share with me if you can kind of some of the things that were going through your mind as you realized this just isn't going to fly and what was going to have to happen. Yeah, I think um, one of the realizations I had was this 
as the business was scaling, this isn't going to be the only instance that at some point in our business journey, in my career, I'm going to have to have this conversation again. And I knew it didn't go well. Like it was very obvious to everyone that we danced around the elephant in the room. We just, we, we didn't handle it well. And so I think I started that exploration and recognizing that if I wanted this business to grow, I'm going to have to hire more people. I'm going to have to bring a bigger team along for the journey. And that means inevitably I'm going to get things wrong and I'm going to be faced with this situation again. And you kind of watch, you know, movies like Moneyball where they have the like cutting a baseball player scene and you're like, oh, I wish I could do it, you know, with that clinical efficiency, you know, no hard feelings on either side. But people in business, it's people, right? Like business is, is full of, you know, great, amazing people, you know, and I, I took a, a lot away from, from that experience, also recognizing that I needed to learn to separate my liking for individuals and, and my general love for, you know, fellow human beings to actually performance and business outcomes, really understanding that actually I can like someone, but that doesn't mean I can't tell them hard things. It's like, you know, when you think about your relationship with you know relatives and family and your, your spouse, you sometimes need to give harsh, difficult feedback, but that doesn't mean you don't like them or you don't love yeah. them, right? And so, I think that for me was that, that moment that I knew that I want to grow businesses. I don't want to be, you know, just playing up what I called like, you know, prep in, in the, you know, or level one business. I want to get to level two, get to level three. And, you know, there's so many different levels and of being a leader and, and, and I wanted to progress. And so try to use that as fuel to, to find a better way to do things. Now, didn't get it right the second time either, right? Or the third time, to be honest. So, And Sam, as you think back to some of those early days and times when you had to kind of separate people, I always think that the, the easier separations are the ones where either someone is dishonest and it's kind of overt or where they're just an outright disaster at the job. But are there any that when you kind of think back and you remember this was someone who they weren't disastrous, they weren't dishonest, they were trying, but they just weren't quite there because I think they're some of the hardest. Do you have a situation like that you can share? Oh, for sure. You know, even uh, at Airwallex, we hired a lot of people over, you know, three years. I was doing 150 interviews a year on average in the three years I was there. It's like almost, you know, a couple of interviews every week. And, you know, sometimes you get the, the highest correct, sometimes you get it wrong. It's not a perfect science. But we had one individual who was putting in hours, 80, 100 hours a week, really working, you know, their butt off to try and, you know, hit their sales target, hit their number, doing everything we were asking of them, but just the results weren't coming and they were getting left behind in their cohort. We had other people who were outperforming with less effort. And, you know, the conversation became much more about, well, you know, you're doing absolutely everything I'm asking of you. You know, you're putting in the hours, you're putting in the work, you're not shying away from that fact, but we're just not seeing the outcomes and the results. How do we really try and figure out what's going on here and realize it's just a role fit? Like some people, you know, sales is, is an interesting discipline in and of itself and it's not for everybody. But, you know, this person is like really pushing on a, a tough, in a tough area, you know, and doing their best, but not getting the outcome. And, you know, I absolutely admire and respect that individual for trying the absolute level best, but the outcomes weren't there. And so we needed to sit down and have a conversation about what to do. Is it redeployment? Is it, you know, termination? How do we find a way forward? Because it's also not fun, right? Like if you're working hundred hours a week and not getting outcomes, I had to recognize it's probably not fun. They're not having a great time either. Right. And, and it's nobody's fault in that situation. We just need to figure out, you know, how do we, you know, move forward in a way that's, that's going to be more beneficial for everybody else. I, th I think you make a great point too, around kind of considering that person's feelings and what they're dealing with when they realize that 
they're putting the effort in and the results just aren't there, you know. And I think sometimes when when we get very bound up in kind of like the difficulty and it's it doesn't make it any easier ultimately, does it? But, I mean, we get bound up in the, in just how difficult it is to kind of have that conversation. You know, I think it's a great reminder for, you know, folks listening that where you're in this particular style of situation and you've got someone who is really trying their hardest but just can't get there. And this has been going on for not a few days or a few weeks, but months and in some instances even perhaps years. The reality is they're probably just under a horrific amount of pressure and probably just themselves just so unhappy with their lot. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that when you actually sit down to kind of essentially dismiss them that they're going to thank you for it, but it may come to pass in days or weeks afterwards that they kind of come back and go, thank you, because I was just so deep in the forest, I couldn't see the trees, you know, and, and, and you're actually doing them a favour. Oh, for sure. I I mean, I've unfortunately or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you look, I have had to dismiss people and I've been threatened, yelled at, cried at, abused, like, you know, we've had people all sorts of different emotions, you know, and I think the important thing for me is recognize this is difficult for me, but it's a million times more difficult for the other person. And it's my responsibility to help them find a path through, you know, the challenge that they're in. And so in that instance, Wayne, like, can you write them a letter of recommendation? Like they're working really hard. They're obviously demonstrating work ethic Mm -hmm. here, you know, and if it's a role fit thing, can you help them understand, okay, what is it that you the work, the kind of work that you enjoy, what is it that you've done in the past that's going to spark that joy and, and that and bring you back to a, you know, a great headspace that's going to get you motivated, excited and energized. And so, I think as a, a manager, you don't just have a response or a leader, you don't have a responsibility while they're just an employee. You also have a responsibility, I think, to, you know, look after those individuals that have come into your circle, uh, even if they, 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 you know, move on from your your place of employment as well. I couldn't agree with you more, Sam. I think you've really kind of tapped into, I guess, what I see as some of the moral obligation that we have as leaders. You know, when we provide employment and that and that no longer becomes viable for a particular person, the way we go about not just that conversation, which is the dismissal conversation, but the way we, I guess, you know, hold our morality and recognise that we can help them kind of steer their future into a path where they're just going to be a happier person, more successful in everything else. And and I think sometimes you just do get the reality in an organization sometimes where an employee is a square peg in a round hole. And I think, you know, when we talk to kind of founders and leaders in different sorts of roles, sometimes they're desperately trying to turn the round hole into a square hole so that it fits the square peg. But that's not then you're not doing the right thing by your organization. If your organization doesn't need that square peg shape then you're really not doing anyone a favor and you, you better just to kind of like move, move to it. But I guess you also, you also often have you know, multiple people telling you different things and giving you different advice and so on at, at the time, right? Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, whether you're talking to the HR teams, you're talking to other leaders in the organization, to people, you know, peers, it's never easy as a leader to, you know, make some of these harder calls. And, but I think if you'd lead with empathy and you really focus on what is it, that's in my control, in my power to make sure, what can I do in my control to make sure this individual has the best experience possible going through this difficult situation? One thing that really jumps out to me is that I wish of all the experiences I've had, I always wish I had those conversations sooner and you know, tackle those issues earlier, talked about the fact things aren't working sooner rather than uh, you know waited to, to see what would happen. But the more I tell myself that, the more I realize that I will always wish 
that I would have done it sooner, right? I think that's like one thing I used to beat myself up about was, Sam, you should have had that conversation last week. But like, I'm always going to, once I have those conversations and realize and get through that conversation, always going to wish that I, I wish I'd done this yesterday or a week ago or, or two weeks ago or a month ago. So I hope other people don't beat themselves up for not necessarily, you know, diving straight into it. Like I think you mentioned at the, the start of the call, you're not a robot here. You're not just going to be like, great, okay, this isn't working. I'm just going to get rid of this person, move on straight away at the first sign of yeah. a red flag. We're dealing with people, things change, things evolve. You know, some people can surprise you and adapt and change in different ways. And, um, you know, I think it's important not to beat yourself up too much for not moving quicker, but it also doesn't mean you should move slowly, right? If you recognize it, it's in your control to start those conversations. Starting early is always definitely the way to go. Yeah. And Sam, just before we kind of close out on, on this topic, you know, because I think it's just such an important topic for leaders and particularly newer leaders who you know, get very bound up over kind of having to having to do this as as we both do. From your, you know, now years of experience, what have you learnt in terms of kind of like literally preparing for and managing that conversation to make it as maybe the least painful it can be? Any suggestions for our, our listeners? I think listening, going in with the attitude that my job here is to convey a very small amount of information because there is not a lot of information to convey when you're having a, a discussion or a meeting about a dismissal, right? My job here is actually to listen, to listen and listen for the cues, let them, whether it's they want to vent, whether they want to, you know, just take the time to think, whatever it is, like my job here is to, you know, bring my whole self to the conversation and just listen and learn and understand what it is that they're going to be. Is it a mortgage that they're concerned about? Is it, you know, reputational? Like what is the concern that they're going to have? What are those concerns? Am I hearing and listening to them and doing everything in my power to do what I can to, to make things as easy as possible? So I think going in with an attitude that I'm conveying a very small amount of information, but my role here is to listen and, and understand what this person is, is going through. I think the second thing is also recognizing that, these conversations never actually get easier. Like you never get to the yeah. point where yeah. you're not nervous yeah. as a leader going in. You're not, you know, having a sleepless night the night before, you know, having a nightmare about the conversation going badly and things like that. That just, that feeling will never go away. Mm. And that's okay. I think that's important because you want to be giving it your best. You want to use that nervous energy, you know, to make sure that you're putting in the preparation to, to get a good outcome. And I think the last thing is like going in prepared. So knowing what are your talking points. You're not here to waffle on and come up with random excuses or, you know, beat about the bush and say, oh, you know, you're getting dismissed for this reason and change it to that reason. Lack of clarity in these instances is makes things so much more ambiguous and difficult for the person receiving the information. So have you got a very clear, consistent message that you're going to stick to and, and explain to this individual? Because you don't want the to go down rabbit holes and you know talk about what ifs. The job of this conversation or the point of this conversation is to convey that information, listen to their feedback, and then allow everybody to digest what's happened. And you know, you can always have further conversations, reconnect afterwards, but really going down rabbit holes and coming in with mixed messages just a sign that you're probably not prepared enough. You haven't written out, dot pointed, these are the pertinent points. This is what I'm going to be communicating. So I think that those are, you know, hopefully three practical tips that, that I've I found really helpful. You know, that's that's absolutely great advice, Sam. And I think, you know, for everyone listening, if you kind of make some notes from from what you just heard, because I think, you know, not doing those three things is kind of like the recipe for disaster here. And and I think, you know, you make the point about keeping it concise and and I think that's 
that's really powerful. You know, you, you, my view was always with these things, as you say, make some notes on a page. The opening line was, this is going to be a very difficult conversation for both of us. I have some news to convey and this news is. So it's like, because I think sometimes people want to kind of chitty chat first and then you've got this horrid segue at some point when it's like, what? And and you just you better just to, to get to that key point. And then you, I love what you're saying about listening because I think sometimes people feel that like if they get into a conversation, it's then a debate. It's not a debate. The decision's already been conveyed, but you can show empathy in hearing someone and all you need to do back sometimes is just consistently say periodically, I hear you. You know, I... I Gosh, I get it. That's really tough. Like you don't have to deal with the stuff that they're saying, but just to be there as another human being and and help them kind of like assimilate their pain and process what they're dealing with. It's very powerful. And and again, I think you know everything that you described in terms of kind of like you know suggestions for for dealing with this. It's also rooted in morality as well. You know, you always want to feel like you've been a good moral person in that situation. And whilst you had to convey something that was awful to convey, you know, you've been the best version of yourself in in doing it. And it doesn't make it good, but it makes it the best that it can be. Yeah. And I think the way in which you hold yourself makes it easier for the other person, right? That like, if you are doing the things that we're talking about here, Wayne, it will actually help. Now, the other person will not turn around and thank you. That's not going to happen. It's unusual, very unusual if that, that would happen. But they'll be able to process and get through that pain that they're feeling, I, I hope, in a, in a uh, hopefully faster and, and, you know, in a way that allows them to move on and move forward, you know, especially with their head held high, right? You don't want people to lose face or, you know, feel like they've been attacked, you know, when they're, when they're departing an organization. And you never know, like businesses are very long, you know, careers are very long. You never know when things might come around and you might work together again or bump into each other on the street. Like you just, you just don't know. Yeah, that's a great point too. Yeah. You're listening to Hard Yards in Leadership where leaders share the stories of their hardest yards in their leadership journeys. I hope every leader who hears these stories recognises that the things that they find hard are the same things that the rest of us leaders find hard too. It's my dream that every leader finds the joy in leading. It will help you be a happier person, a better leader for your business, and a better leader for those that you lead. If you like the show, please subscribe, drop us a review, and most importantly, share to others who may benefit from it too. Now back to the show. We've been talking a lot about kind of that thing that we all find difficult, which is, you know, the dismissal and all of those sorts of things. Let's get in a little um, time capsule and move to another phase of your career. And if you think about something else that you faced, that kind of from a leadership perspective kind of really rocked your boat. And I wonder if you could share that with our listeners. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I was thinking about over the last two or three years that I've had to get comfortable with is understand that my capabilities and my contribution as an individual is very different to my capabilities and contribution as a leader. When I'm working in a team environment, what I can do and my outputs and deliverables as an individual actually matter a lot less than my outputs and contributions as a leader. And often as a leader, they're intangible. Sometimes it's a little bit amorphous. And, and so, I found myself 
leaning into the individual contribution. I'll make the PowerPoint deck. I'll do the, you know, I'll yeah. create outputs. I'll, you know, do the things necessary because I could see them. They're tangible. I'm like, okay, I'm making progress. The team's moving forward. Excellent. Things are great. Yeah. And that's a comfort zone. Exactly. Like that's yeah. where you start your career. You're, you're an individual contributor. You know how to do the role. You know what, you know that you're good at it as well. But realizing that I needed to learn to make this shift from an individual contributor to a leader, not solve all the problems. If a team member is coming to me with a challenge or a problem, my job isn't to actually necessarily solve that problem anymore. Because for sometimes it's easy to be like, oh, okay, you're struggling with this. Just give me that slide or give me that project and I'll just finish it in half an hour and bang, away we go. Sometimes that might be the right answer, but that's often not because you're not then operating as a leader. You're not building redundancy into your organization. You're not training and coaching and mentoring and allowing the organization to grow without being dependent on you as an individual. So that transition where people would come to me with a problem and I'd like bring out my hammer and whack the problem and it'd be fixed, great. I thought, you know, I'm being a great leader and all these people are coming to me, you know, with problems and I'm just sorting them out. And everyone would tell me, Sam, you're a great leader. You solve all our problems. And then I tried to take leave, you know, and went on a week <laughs> of leave. And it was chaos, right? Oops. Absolute chaos, right? No one knew what was going on. Everything was madness, you know. And I was like, Sam, you can never take leave. And, you know, because it's just like you've made everybody dependent on you because you thought that leadership was solving other people's problems. Yeah. And I think that realization that actually – even though it's great and it feels awesome and people like thank me for it and everyone's saying, yep, Sam, you're such a great problem solver. This is awesome. I'm hearing all this positive feedback. Actually, I needed to slow down and not help and learn how to not, uh, you know, insert myself into situations where I wasn't required. Yeah. And so that shift was very different because it was and, and challenging as well because it was this kind of personality shift, like I, or not even how I perceive myself, I think of like this great problem solver to actually that's not my job anymore. That's not who I am. And mm. that's not the role that this organization needs me to play. Mm. And this is absolutely rich topic material here, Sam, because, you know, again, you know, we have so many founders listen to the show and, you know, the vast majority of founders are founders because they have a brilliant idea and they're very good at something. The leadership piece, exactly like you described, is something that kind of tends to just kind of grow around you and, you know, for, for many people, it's kind of like no specific moment where they suddenly go, I'm, I'm actually supposed to be much more of a leader than just the, the entrepreneur or the individual contributor. Do you remember for you kind of what was the light bulb moment? What was the trigger point? How did you suddenly sort of come to that realization of I've got to be less of this and more, more of that? I think taking leave was a big one. Like often as a founders, leaders, you don't feel like you can take leave because it's your baby and it's your company or it's your startup and your team and you don't want to leave them. But I've now built like forced leave into my rhythms wherever I'm working with it's my own startup or somewhere else because it forces me to test now, have I built redundancy? Have I built a team that's strong and capable and sustaining that can work effectively without me there? And if not, if the answer is no, then I know that I haven't done my job as a leader. So it was that moment when I took leave and I realized that I'd left behind an absolute mess. I'd made people dependent on me, you know, and, and thought that that was what good looked like. And so I, I've now built that into my rhythms where I know that I'm going to take leave at, you know, certain schedules, you know, once a quarter, like a couple of days here and there, at least, you know, once a year, making sure I'm leaving the team, you know, on their own with no 
I'm not on Slack during the leave. I'm not, you know, calling them and checking in. I'm giving them the time and space yeah. to yeah. learn how to operate and function without me. And that yeah. gives me, I can come back and interview people or chat to them and say, hey, what worked? What was missing? Like, what didn't I do? Like, was the handover okay? Like, do you guys feel like you were able to handle things? Was it manic? How did it feel? All of these things and insights that I just wouldn't get if I was there the whole time uh, and not not taking that step back. So, for me, it was that taking that leave and realizing that I'd actually left behind a mess. A couple of things I want to unpack from what you've just been been saying. One of them is the importance of a founder and a leader taking leave. And I know so many, and I've been one of them, where you, you kind of go, now's not the right time, now's not the right time, now's not the right time. Comments, advice to, to folks who are kind of like in that dilemma, because I'll bet there's a substantial number of people who are listening right now who go, I struggle to take leave. I am very much in the three years I was at Airwallex, I took leave maybe twice and like extended leave once, right? And like, was a ter- like I'm terrible at this. And it's only having my you know, friends and other folks, other leaders around me who are constantly in my ear telling me, Sam, you need to do this. You need to find that space and time to, to recharge and, and recover. That can be convincing, but what I found really convincing and, and what really tipped me over is, is that actually this is actually part of your job. You're doing work by being on leave, by allowing the team to figure out, like, are they ready for the next level? Are they have, have you trained them, coached them? Have you worked with them and given them the right direction and guidance so that they can operate without you? And so I found that convincing that actually taking leave is an important part of the job. It's not being there every day is actually doing a disservice to the, yeah. the, the team. And, yeah. and so that I found like reasonably compelling because again, I like, I love work. I love what I do. I love getting up and working on, you know, startups and, and that kind of thing. It's where I get most of my joy from. And so learning that actually taking leave is still part of that. It's still part of the work. It's still part of the joy because you're seeing what will happen, seeing how things will change and evolve without you. Um, I think that, that really helped me. I think that's a, that's a fantastic answer because yeah, we always jump to kind of like we need to refresh and and you know mm. what I heard you saying was you know but I love my work you know it's not like it's not like I feel like my work is beating me down it can be something you kind of talk yourself out of it's funny I, I I'm one of those lucky people I'd say probably ninety seven percent of my work days I wake up in the morning excited to get to work and yet I also came to realize you know over many years that when I didn't take leave. I might have been loving it just as much, but I was actually kind of grinding my gears. So, you know, there's that piece. I think the other thing, you know, for those of us that have families and whatever else, I think also just reminding ourselves that, that you know, part of the cycle of a year is making sure that we cut time out to devote a bit more time to our fr- family and friends and, and whatever else. And, and that helps us never think that all we are and everything that we are is this role in this organization, which is really dangerous, especially if your organization happens to not go so well at some point. So there's all of those pieces. But then the other thing that you brought out, which I just think is just incredibly powerful and and often doesn't get talked about in these conversations, is just what an important part of the cycle of the development of the people around you it is to periodically stand back and go, I'm not going to be here for a few days, for a couple of weeks, whatever it might be. So I don't know the answer to the question I'm going to ask you, but I'm just going to ask, ask it to you flat. Have you ever come back and seen something that you delegated turned into absolute company-defying disaster? No, it never happens. Yeah, never happens. Exactly. And that's the thing that people always fear. And 
I've asked this question a number of times to people in the same situation and it's the same answer. And I think often, you know, as we kind of learn to be good delegators, the first thing we have to do is actually just have the confidence to delegate and look at these people around us and go, they're, they're intelligent people. Sometimes you look around them and, and go, they're actually probably smarter than me. <laughs> Maybe have more corporate experience, whatever it might be. And when you get brave with these sorts of things, you then, and I'm sure you've experienced this, where you, you actually get to see the way people grow and develop with those opportunities where they get to kind of step up. That's an important part of that growth and development, isn't it? Your presence in the organization is often suffocating, right? It's you're the leader, like people are looking up to you and you not being there removes a lot of the oxygen, you know, uh, from the room, creates this vacuum that allows people to like look at each other and say, what should we do in this situation? You know, what's the right outcome? Like, who do we need to talk to? Because like Sam doesn't know, like Sam's not here. And so that I think process is, is critical in growing and, and developing teams, you know, that are going to be able to scale with you because you need to be growing as a leader, but you need to be building that pipeline of talent and growth um, and, and developing that talent that can come in, you know, and take your role, make you redundant over time so you can go on and, and work on the next thing. Yeah. And, and those very people around us, they have their career ambitions, which if they don't feel they're getting those opportunities working for you, then the next thing you look around and, and, and you've got resignation letters on, on your table and employees coming and going, that's part of life, but you don't want great people you know, tagging out of your organization because they just don't feel that they get the opportunity to grow. Exactly. exactly. It's funny, we're talking about leave and, and highlighting that, how that just taking leave as a leader, not just refreshes you, does all these wonderful things, spending time, but also helps your team. Like it's, it's like for me, that was like such an insightful moment of like, I need to, this is, a, I'm looking after my team. Like you said, I'm helping retention yeah. by taking leave, which is, yeah. you know, unbelievable. Yeah. 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 They're great realizations, aren't they? Mm. Let's get back in our little time machine. I want to come forward to kind of like what I describe as the COVID era. Mm. And you're in a business leadership stroke entrepreneurial role as, you know, business got exceptionally difficult and the environment changed very fast and became a very difficult place to do business. I wonder if you could share for the listeners, some of the challenges that you faced through that period and kind of what you did to look after yourself and look after your businesses and make sure that, you know, here we are, you know, telling great stories at the other side. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky that I was involved in both Airwallex and Percade when COVID hit. And so, Airwallex being a digital fintech, our revenue was like up and to the right. We're like, you know, things are, people are moving online. This is fantastic. Yeah. The hospitality business, Pocade, was like literally revenue from wherever it was to zero overnight. Yeah. And, and that was definitely the hardest period I've ever had in business because we were, you know, sitting there, we had 110 staff trying to figure out what do we do? What's the right thing to do? Can we even afford to fire them? Because when you fire mm-hmm. people, you've got to pay out annual leave. Can we yeah. even afford to do that? What, what, what do we have to do? You know, how do we communicate this to them when we can't? Like, do we send everyone letters saying they're terminated? Like, because we can't see them in person anymore. You know, so every day was this kind of existential struggle because someone had once described to me, like when you employ people, you're running a business and you employ people, it's like you're inviting them to go on a, you know, a, safari, a desert safari with you. You're leading them on camels into the desert and you're hoping at some point you're going to find an oasis and everyone's going to be, you know, happy and drink lots of water and that's great. But as a leader, you can't just leave your people behind in the desert. You have a responsibility mm-hmm. to make sure that they're along 
you know, coming with you to the oasis or you drop them off, take them out of the desert and leave them somewhere where they can go and find, you know, someone else to, to go on that journey with. But you can't be abandoning people in the middle of the desert, right, and you know, le- leaving them to their own devices. And, and so that's the situation we found ourselves in. We ended up having a Zoom call with all of our employees and Zoom was still not really a thing. And so I don't think everyone dialed in and we fired them, you know, online and on Zoom and said, guys, like we don't know. We think we're firing you, but we don't know what the rules are. We don't know what we're allowed to do, what we can't do. Two days later, JobSeeker announced and we said, okay, guys, ignore everything we said two days ago. (laughs) You're still hired. We never fired you. We're going to find a way, you know, we're going to make things happen. But every day it was like delivering this terrible news. You know, we had employees calling us, what am I going to do for rent? What are we going to do? And we're trying to figure out how do we scramble whatever we've got to make this thing work. And then trying to react to the government announcements on like, are you allowed to open for takeaway? Are you not? What are the rules? Um, so every day was this kind of up and down roller coaster of things, you know, going really well, then not. We had tons, literally tons of stock, meat and, you know, chicken and this and that. And we're like, what are we going to do with this? How do we ship it out? How do we you know, start distributing to your employees? Guys, you've yeah, got food at yeah. least. Don't worry about food. <laughs> we can put food on the table. You know, you're trying to be creative and, and react. But I think the most important thing was that, we were very honest with our employees. We never pretended that we knew what we were doing because frankly, we didn't. And I don't think anyone could have pretended that you knew what was going to happen or you had a good handle on the situation. So we were very clear when we had calls and, and, and discussions with employees, like we have no idea what we're doing. We yeah. don't think anyone does. And if you if you think well, there's something we should do that we're not doing, let us know because we are navigating uncharted waters here and we're really running blind. And so we're, every day, the only thing we can promise you is we'll do our best. We'll try and make the right decisions and we're willing to change them if you know the situation uh, evolves in, in a different way. And so you know, we ended up starting a little like online grocery delivery business temporarily to employ staff and you know, use up some of our stock. We did a whole bunch of different things to try and keep people employed and, and active and managed to get through it you know, relatively unscathed. You know, thanks to a lot of help. A lot of people volunteered their time to help us. We had some government support as well, which was fantastic. But it was that kind of every day, we've got to take it day by day. We're not going to pretend that what we're doing is like we know what we're doing. We're going to be honest and upfront with everybody, with our landlords, with our employees, that we're going to slowly figure this out. But the commitment we made everyone is we are in this for the long haul. We're going to get through this. We're not going to pull up stumps and just say, look, this is too hard. We're, we're walking away. We made a commitment to our employees that we're, and we're going to try and honor that and put in you know, as much work as we possibly can. First of all, extraordinary story and, and, and thanks for sharing. And you know, such extraordinary times we lived through, wasn't it? And, and how things were changing radically from one day to the next. I, I loved your story about your fired. <laughs> no, 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 that didn't really happen. What I'd love to hear more about, Sam, is how did you cope with all of that? The what you did is is an amazing story, and I think you absolutely made the best of every opportunity. But how did you cope with that while all of this was going on around you? I, I, I mean, it wasn't easy. Like, I don't think any, I could pretend that it was, you know, easy to, to get through. But I was very fortunate that early on in my career, I realized the mental strength required to, you know, just often just live life. Like, there are going to be challenges, personal, professional, you know, in business. And so I had a pretty good habit and discipline of, of you know, uh, meditating regularly, like having some kind of regular check-ins with myself, you know, different tactics, books that I would read that would help me yeah. understand how I was operating, what I needed to do, the kind of person I wanted to be. And so that 
really one, I think I, I credit a lot of the practice that I'd done before this, this event happened to helping me kind of get through it. I'd say a huge, huge part of it for me was being honest and vulnerable with, you know, my business partner, with, you know, the other folks around me, my family, friends, not pretending to them, oh, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, I think we will. Let's stay optimistic. But, man, it's hard. Let's not pretend it's not hard. I think there's a so – like, we weren't toxically positive. We weren't just like, this is all going to be yeah. fine. Because employees are like, you just made me redundant and then didn't and then fired me and then didn't. Like, yeah, like, of course it's hard. This is not easy. Yeah. So, I think being vulnerable and letting people know that, like, I'm going to be struggling, like, it's not easy for me and, and being open, open to accepting the fact that this w- would be hard. And then I think uh, lastly, really leaning very, very heavily on my business partner, like making sure I have this, you know, one business partner, Justin, we've been through doing business for 12 years together now, a very long time across different businesses. But having that every day, we would have a check-in, mate, how are you doing? Some days I'd be okay. Some days he'd be okay. But every day we had a 15-minute call, just made sure that I'd check in on him, he'd check in on me, and we would just make sure that we we knew this is maybe three weeks, four weeks, turned into a couple of months where it was really tough, but we're going to be checking in on each other because some days I'm doing great and some days he's not. Like when I ran that call on about the employee, I was just spent, just absolutely spent. And so it was his job to pick me up, dust me off and say, look, we got through it and we'll get through the next day as well. And some days, you know, it was my job to help him, you know, figure out like, my mate, we'll find a way, like, what can I do to help? How can I be there for you? So really having him in my corner, we held each other accountable and also provided that support that we needed uh, to get through it. So I definitely didn't get through it on my own. You know, I had some of that practice I mentioned early on. I was open to being vulnerable and and, and sharing that I wasn't was struggling. And then I had someone in my corner whose sole job was to just keep me off the ground, pick me back up every time I fell over. Yeah. I mean, and again, thanks thanks for sharing because there's a lot of vulnerability in just what you've you've shared just now. You know, I've got to say, Sam, you, know, you show extraordinary maturity in the way you handle many of those aspects. I think the, your comments about optimism, there's a great learn there, you know, and hopefully we'll never have such difficult circumstances again. But I think, you know, for any anyone listening, kind of going, you know, where does optimism fit into all of that? I think having a general spirit of optimism is a wonderful thing. Having blind optimism, I think you, you reference it as being toxic op- optimism, it can actually become very, very debilitating. You also talked about things like meditating and other things that you, you know, things that you do to look after yourself. And I think, uh, you know, one of the greatest things that you learn as a leader, you know, once you've got a few battle scars is looking after yourself is incredibly important because there's only one you sitting in, in that chair and everyone looks up to you and everyone needs you to be the best you can be. And in really difficult times, we're not cyborgs. You know, we're not just powered by some endless battery. It just, it's, that's not real. They're very difficult things for us to learn. And obviously the, the last point that you made about having, you know, a partner who, you know, you were looking after them, they were looking after you. And for some founders, they have that. And it's important to have that relationship if you don't have, someone who kind of fits that bill who's in your business, you need to have someone who fits that bill who's somewhere else in, in your life. Because i got to say, every one of us, no matter how small or how big our organizations were, when you go through times like that, there are days, if not phases, where really the waves are just all washing over the top of the snorkel. And, and you know, if you don't have people around you who can kind of you know, help you in that situation, it, it, it's pretty tough. You know, so... Huge thanks for sharing on that one. I'm sure folks will get a lot of 
a lot of learns and, and be able to relate. We all, you know, had our challenges. We're getting to the part of the, of the podcast, Sam, now where, where I get to ask my favorite question, which is as we kind of lead to the, con- to the conclusion. So very different scenario. So this is just hypothetical. Okay. So imagine you have your workspace. I'm going to give you a bucket of paint, a paintbrush, and you get to write some words on the wall opposite where you sit. So every time you look up, they're the words that you see. What are those words? Yeah, great question. I would write, say, la vie, like that's life. When I think about the ups and downs, the highs and lows, that I try and temper even the highest moments with a degree of, you know, these are things that happen. That's great. Like, let's be excited. Let's celebrate the wins. But also to try and remember that, you know, those are also temporary sometimes. There'll be challenges, you know, around the corner. I learned this. I'm a big fan of history and specifically ancient Romans. And anytime like a general would win in a battle or, you know, they'd, ha- they'd have what's called a triumph where they'd be paraded around Rome with chariots and, you know, all sorts of bells and whistles and, and things. But they'd, the general would have a slave standing behind them, whispering in their ear, reminding them they're also, you know, human, that they might die. Right. And so that, you know, this is temporary. And so that constant reminder amidst all of the, you know, the pomp and show of a Roman triumph that actually you're human. Don't forget that. Don't let this get to your head. So for me, it's, I think I use like the that's life or say la vie for both the, the highs and also the lows. And when you're in the pits, it feels terrible. Like just remember that this is also temporary. Like you will get through this. This is part of life. It's okay. You know, things will, 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 will turn around. And so I think, yeah, I'd probably write, write that. Nice, nice. Kind of thinking about putting that up on my wall too. Finally, Sam, for those listeners who are kind of keen to learn a little bit more about your your current business interest, where should they look and, and what what can they find? Yeah, if you jump on samkathari.com.au, you'll be able to you know find out a little bit more about me, some of the books and content that I've been uh, enjoying and learning from and, and some of the businesses I'm involved in at the moment. And then, yeah, definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always, always keen to, to chat. I, I've found that being open to opportunity, you know, and, and saying yes to, to coffees and catch-ups and, you know, saying yes to, to people like yourself, Wayne, when you, you reach out and, and, you know, having these conversations, it gives me a lot of pleasure. I learn so much from, you know, watching you and listening to the content that, that you put out. So, yeah, reach out on LinkedIn, samkathari.com.au. There's a contact form there as well if you want to get in touch. And, yeah, I do my best to say yes and, 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 and catch up with, with as many people as possible. Oh, that's awesome. And it's a huge and, and very heartfelt thanks to you for what you've shared during our conversation today. There's a tremendous amount of authenticity and vulnerability and the words are often thrown around and become a little bit plastic. But I think for folks listening today, they, they'd recognize that you've really been very open to sharing some of the hardest yards and some of the how does it feel through those hardest yards. And you know, the whole inspiration for this podcast has always been about getting experienced leaders to share those stories so newer leaders can hear them and, and kind of go, hey, all of these guys find this stuff difficult as well. And, and, and I think you've, you know, you've put a tremendous amount of good out there and what you've been I'm happy to share today. I've learned a stack and enjoyed it tremendously. Wish you well on your current venture. And again, a huge thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to another incredible episode where successful leaders share their hardest yards. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to let people know by sharing the episode around and rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you listen on. Feel free to join our online community on LinkedIn 
You can find the link in our show notes. I look forward to seeing you next week. Meanwhile, keep learning, find the joy in what you do, and keep believing in yourself as a leader. Oh,